I'm not cheering for injuries. I'm not rooting for players to get hurt, but injuries are part of the game. Injuries are part of sports. I'm not rooting for them, though. Eh, but on second thought... This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. So the Bucks are facing elimination tonight, right? Season could end in a couple of hours. Our Bucks could be done until next fall. This is a big deal. It's an important day. Tonight is an important game. It's hard not to think about that, right? But I'm really not stressed. I'm very at peace. I have inner peace today. I am calm. I am zen. I'm ready for whatever may happen. And I thought of a scene from Breaking Bad today. And if you've never seen Breaking Bad, this is the only time I'm ever going to tell you to do this. Turn the radio down for like 30 seconds because I'm about to have a huge spoiler. But it's been out for a while. I, I feel like this is okay for me to do. If you've never seen Breaking Bad and you're like, dang, I've been meaning to get around to watching that and I just haven't for, I don't know, six years or whatever, turn the radio down, turn it back up in like a minute. So there's a scene in Breaking Bad where Hank meets his end, right? They're way out in the desert to Toluja Hay or whatever the, the reservation is. And the guy's looking down at Hank with the gun. And he's like, hey, officer, what do you got to say? And Walt is losing it. He's like, no, 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 don't kill Hank. No, no, no. He's like, all right, Hank, what do you got to say for yourself? And Hank looks this man in the eye. He doesn't beg for his life. He doesn't cry. He doesn't even, he's got a stone cold face. And he says, do what you're going to do. Pop, right in the face. That's how I feel with the Bucks. I'm like, oh, you're going to lose in heartbreaking fashion? Do your worst. I'm ready. I'm not going to grovel. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to cry. Just do it. Get on with it already. That's how I feel. I feel mentally strong today, a la Hank. Uh, ASAC Schrader, which is what he reiterated right before, uh, well, getting shot right in the face. It's the Wisco Sports Show. Sorry to start with that image. My name is Grant Bills. You can follow me on Twitter, at Wisco Grant, and you can join the show on the talk and text line if you would like. Send me a text, 608-796-2558. Text or call. We do a lot of basketball today, I'm sure, as, as you can imagine. Bucks are facing elimination tonight. There was a nutty game between the Sixers and the Hawks last night. The Clippers-Jazz game wasn't as good, but it was still interesting, so we're going to talk about all of that. The Brewers got swept, and I just, I don't know. They're the puzzle piece I can't fit into this week. We, they couldn't score runs. We've seen that before. I don't know that we need to talk about that for a half hour. Um, we're also going to talk about Aaron Rodgers. For, like, a good portion of the show, we're going to talk Packers coming up in the second half, in the second hour of the show, because some interesting things have happened, right? I've, I've kind of strayed away from Aaron Rodgers unless something interesting happens. And then, okay, sure, we'll talk about it. I think something interesting has happened. Even if you didn't see it, even if you don't know what I'm talking about, I will explain. That's coming up at 520. We're going to speak with a brand new guest today, new guest to the show, Danny Heifetz from The Ringer. So everybody, best behavior, we are going to impress him He's going to be like, wow, what an interesting show this is. I can't wait to come back during football season, all right? So nobody say anything out of line, no off-color remarks, nothing out of left field. We're going to impress him, okay? He will join us at 535. Uh, He writes, for the NFL, for the ringer, does podcasting as well. Really entertaining guy. I'm excited to talk to him. And nobody, hey, best behavior today, okay? New guest. I'm serious. Keep Keep it together today. I want to start with last night's game, Hawks. 76ers, before we get into the Bucks, before we start previewing tonight's game, which we could very well see the last game of the year for the Bucks, And I want to go back to last week, last Thursday. 
right? Because last Thursday I was on one and I was talking about NBA drama and pressure and narrative. That was the big word. Narrative, 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 narrative. And I got some tweets. It's like, geez, Grant, take it easy. You set the over-under on the times you're about to say narrative in this show. All right, maybe I got a little carried away. My bad. I'm a passionate NBA fan. It's something that means a lot to me. Talk about narrative because I think it's an important factor in the NBA. Not in the NFL, not in Major League Baseball. In the NFL, those locker rooms are so closely knit. They're together all the time. They're a, they're a bunch of gladiators going into battle. I don't care what the outside world is saying. It matters what we're saying in here. The 53 men and the coaches and the training staff, we are one. Very 300, we are Sparta type vibes, right? And in baseball, let's just be honest, throughout most of the regular season, there aren't really narratives. Unless there's cheating involved, then everybody wants to talk about it. Like, no. Colin Cowherd isn't taking shots at the Brewers every day when they get swept. You know, baseball's just a little bit different. Now in the NBA, narrative is huge because this is a league that lives on social media. It lives on talk shows like this, and it's about opinion, and it's about calling this player overrated, this player underrated, right? Taking shots at this player for not being able to close games. It's very personal, The narratives are very real, and they certainly impact the way these games play out. The pressure that's applied on these players, right? I think this is why, right, you have issues with mental health with players is because it's so nasty. It's so aggressive all the time. Narrative is real. And narrative worked in the Bucs' favor for the last week or so, at least until they led by 17 points in the third quarter of Game 5. And then at that point, narrative completely flipped on them. After that, not so much. Now, since that game, since Tuesday, narrative is absolutely crushing the Bucs weighing down on them. Everybody's getting on the Bucks' case. And it's also currently crushing the 76ers. Did you, did you watch the game last night? Hawks 76ers? You might have turned it off early. And if you did, I would not blame you. The Sixers were leading by 20, 25, almost 30 points multiple times in this game. And yet the Hawks end up winning in Philly nonetheless, 109-106 to 106 last night. The 76ers blew a 26-point lead. They were up double digits in the third quarter at home in a pivotal game five. So now Philly's got to go face elimination on the road in game six, blowing a 26-point lead. Two days after blowing an 18-point lead in game four, that was on the road. I I, I don't know if that's then excusable, but in back-to-back games, they've blown an 18-point lead, a 26-point lead. kind of thing never happens. few tidbits from last night's game to show exactly how bad this loss was. It didn't take a lot of research to find these tidbits. Offensively, defensively, every part of this game for the Sixers towards the end just turned into a disaster. In the second half, Joel Embiid and Seth Curry were the only Sixers to score a field goal in the second half. Two players had field goals. That's it. So Embiid had 13 points in the second half. Curry had 25. Other than that, it was Korkmaz who had two points, both at the free throw line, and Ben Simmons, who had two points at the free throw line, which is even worse considering that he had six attempts and only could put two of them in. The Sixers had 44 total points in the second half. The Hawks had 40 in the fourth quarter alone. The Hawks shot 16 of 22 in the fourth quarter. And they're a good offensive team, but the Sixers are one of the best defensive teams in basketball. In fact, they were second only to the Lakers in defensive rating in 2020-2021. They had a defensive rating of 107, which was just behind the Lakers, second place in the NBA, first place in the Eastern Conference. This team is a defensive juggernaut. Embiid is great. Matisse Tybel is great. Ben Simmons is great. Just big, 
physical, strong guys who can defend. And the Hawks cut them up for 44 points in, uh, or 40 points, excuse me, in the fourth quarter. 16 of 22 from the field. All things considered, the Sixers had a 97.5% chance of winning with 423 remaining in the third quarter. They had a 97.5% chance to win. And then it all fell apart. They end up losing 109 to 106, right? So the 76ers, and it doesn't change our issue with the Bucs. They're trailing, but they blew it worse than the Bucs did. So, I like, I don't reference all of these stats and these tidbits to make myself feel better and to make you feel better. I don't, I don't do this to make Bucs fans feel better about themselves. Although, not going to lie, it, it kind, of help, kind of helps. It's easy when your team loses to then turn around the next day, have a team lose even worse. It's all right, take some of the heat off of us. Yes, I... I understand that that's a factor at play, and I guess in my most elementary level of fandom, it's kind of nice. Okay, fine. But I reference all these stats and these tidbits, most importantly, to make a point, right? I think you've noticed in the last week that NBA teams manifest their own criticisms, right? These teams in the postseason are playing these narratives into reality. These teams are becoming what people say about them. Think of the Sixers, and we're going to do this exercise with the Bucks in a minute. I just, I'm using the Sixers game because it's a brilliant example. Think of the strongest criticisms of the Sixers as, as a whole. Doc Rivers as a coach. Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons. Think of the most common criticisms of these individuals and of this team as a whole. What, what do most people say? If you're going to rip Doc, if you're going to rip Ben Simmons, what's the ammo? What are people saying? Well, if you want to talk about Doc Rivers, he's a choker. Can't close out playoff series. In fact, on Twitter today, Doc Rivers' choke was trending when I went to look up some of these statistics. Let's think about his time with L.A., with the Clippers. In 2013, he led Memphis. His team led Memphis 3-2, ended up losing in seven at home. 2015, they blew a 15-point lead in game five against the Thunder, only to turn around and then lose the series in six. 2015, he blew a 3-1 series lead to the Houston Rockets. That Houston team, that team was dead in the water. Harden wasn't even in the game, right? Like, that series was over until it wasn't. They blew a 3-1 series lead against Houston. Doc Rivers and his teams in the past, of course, we're talking about the Clippers, have blown leads. They can't close it out. They're chokers. That's what everybody says. Right? What about Joel Embiid? What do people say about Joel Embiid? Can't stay healthy. He's never in shape. Whether it's fair to Embiid or not, he's banged up again. He's got a bad meniscus, but even... Outside of that, he looks tired. He looks out of shape. He looks worn down by the end of the games to where it actually impacts the way that he plays. So Joel Embiid, fitting the criticisms that people have always said. What about Ben Simmons? People about Ben Simmons say that he's a limited player. He doesn't fit with Embiid. He can't shoot. He won't shoot. He's bad at free throws. This series has been a masterclass for Ben Simmons critics. Just a masterclass. Simmons in the second half last night, 0 of 1 from the field. Let me repeat that. 0 of 1 from the field. 2 of 6 from the free throw line. 1 rebound, 1 assist. He has no field goal attempts in the fourth quarter last night or in the fourth quarter of game four. So in the closing moments of the last two games, Ben Simmons hasn't taken a shot. No shots in the fourth quarter. He has missed 45 free throws throughout this postseason. There are teams as a whole that have missed like 20. The Nets, I think, have 22 missed field goals as a team. Ben Simmons has 45 throughout this postseason. So between Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, all of the criticisms that have been levied against these individuals for years, they all played out last night perfectly, 100%. And it's almost like the players knew it. 
it's almost like they accepted it. They just looked defeated. These players, the Sixers players, and the coach, Doc Rivers, they have played and coached these very narratives and criticisms into reality. They've taken it from the sphere of social media and sports media, and they have played it out and made it concrete and made it real, right? And it's almost like they knew it was happening. Did Embiid or Ben Simmons last night ever appear to have a sense of urgency? No, not at all. They seem content to just get that game over with so they could go to the locker room and just be done. It looked too much. It looked overwhelming. They didn't look to be in the same sphere as Atlanta, which is crazy because I think Atlanta is a fundamentally flawed team as fun and fast and as exciting as they are. And Bede and Simmons and the Sixers should be the better team. I keep saying that. I'm, I'm starting to not believe it because at some point it's like, well, Philly's not the better team because they're getting their butt kicked. But the players seem to know. Simmons is like, yeah, I can't make free throws. Yeah, I can't shoot. I'm not going to shoot. And Bede's like, yeah, I'm not. look at my body language. It's terrible. I'm not in good shape. Doc Rivers, all yeah, we choke. That's what we do. These teams, the Sixers, manifest their own criticisms. And the Bucks have done the same thing. And this is where the Bucks join this conversation. They're in an identical position to the Sixers. Coach Bud, Giannis, Middleton, Drew, all appeared in Game 5 to realize and accept their destiny. They're just like, yeah, we're a flawed team. We're flawed players. We don't win in the postseason. Coach Bud doesn't adjust. He's bad with matchups. He's bad with rotations. Well, <laughs> James Harden played 46 minutes. James Harden had a bad hamstring. Meanwhile, Drew Holiday played 34. Giannis played 42. Two perfectly healthy players. I know foul trouble was a factor. That minute discrepancy is still huge. He also was using Brooke Lopez incorrectly in the third quarter defensively. I thought he used just about everybody incorrectly on the offensive end. I don't think they hunted James Harden, although that can be a little... We, we can lose ourselves a little bit in saying, well, they should hunt Trey Young on defense. They should hunt Trey, uh, hunt James Harden on, on defense. Well, not every team has the personnel to go at every single player. So I think I think we use that. It's like saying, well, they need to make adjustments. It's like, well, do you know what that means? Right? Come on, elaborate. Well, they should hunt James Harden on offense. Well, How? Because if Drew Holiday's on the bench in foul trouble, who's Brooke, P.J. Tucker, Giannis, Chris Middleton, none of these guys are players who really play after play after play can attack someone in isolation. It's a flaw of the Bucks roster that way. Middleton, I thought he hit really timely, tough shots, but 8 of 22 from the field is tough, and that ISO against Durant in crunch time that went off the side of the backboard is a really tough look. Giannis, people say he doesn't have skill. He's bad at free throws. He's not a closer. While he was actually okay from the free throw line, he made terrible decisions in crunch time, and he didn't play like a killer. He looked like the player that was scared, the deer in the headlights, which has been the criticism. It's been the narrative, and these criticisms have now played into reality because these teams and these coaches, they just seem to be in their head, and they just seem to accept it, right? At no point in that game five did Giannis or Drew put their foot down. Nobody said, you know what? We're not letting this happen. We were up 17 points. I don't care that Kevin Durant's playing amazing. I'm going to guard him. I don't care that Kevin Durant's playing amazing. We're going to double team him. I don't care that this lead is slipping away. This ends with me now. Get me in isolation, and I'm going to go with James Harden. I'm going to get a bucket. Pat Connaughton was the only one who did that. If Pat Connaughton is your killer, you wrap it up. It's curtains. Nobody took control. It's like the Bucs just laid down. It's just like, oh, we're about to blow a lead. Let's just get this over with. Philly did the same thing last night. There was no killer. There was no attitude from Simmons, none from Embiid. Seth Curry was maybe the most inspirational on the floor last night. I think this series was over on Tuesday when the Bucks lost in game five. Like I suppose they could win tonight. 
And maybe if Kevin Durant and James Harden both get hurt, they could win game seven. I just, I, I don't see a path for the Bucks to win this series. They might make it interesting tonight, but I've watched this team for too long. I just, I don't see a way that they play themselves back in and win this series. I'm not going to talk myself into it. I guess if they win tonight, we'll reevaluate. Although my stance after tonight, if the Bucks win, will still be they will probably lose in seven. Right? I think this series is over. But if the Bucks lose tonight in some submissive catastrophe where they just lay down, I mean, the respect level for them is going to go from minimal right now to absolutely gone, 100%. Nobody's going to respect this team. No one's going to respect Giannis. So tonight, I think the attitude and the approach and the mentality, I think that's where it starts. They have the personnel. They have the skill. They have the offense and defense. I think it starts mentally. And mentally, the Bucs have been terrible, and we saw it with the Sixers last night as well. I think there's some interesting parallels between these two teams. Let's take a break. I want to continue to talk about this game, bring the Bucks more into the equation, bring Coach Bud into the equation, and then we can kind of do a conversation about Coach Bud. So there's a very good chance this is his last game as the coach of the Bucs. And I want to get some things off of my chest, if that's the case. That's coming up at 535, or 435, rather. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name Grant Bills. Twitter at Wisco Grant. Text the show 608-796-2558. Coach Wunsch says Bucks will win by double digits tonight. I can't argue with that logic. I'm pulling up the gambling line right now because I spent the commercial break lollygagging to go fill up my water bottle. This is something I should have done over the commercial break, but did not. I think the line is, what is it, five and a half tonight? Six? Like, Vegas expects the Bucks to bounce back. Where is it here? And they probably should. Yeah, it's five and a half. I just, I've seen this before where we talk ourselves into the Bucks, we're like, well, they'll win game six, but they'll lose in game seven because that's what's most heartbreaking. And then they lose game six when we finally talked ourselves in to them winning game six. So this Bucks team is I just just get it over with. Win or lose tonight, just shoot me already. I'm ready to be done, ready to be done with this. Whether they advance or whether they don't, just, just do it already. I feel similarly about Aaron Rodgers, who we're going to talk about in an hour. I thought there was an interesting thing said in the media. Jay Glazer went on the Pat McAfee show, and there was one thing that he said where I'm like, whoa. And I think it kind of flew under the radar, but I bookmarked it, and we finally have time to talk about it today. Danny Heifetz will join us from The Ringer, a fantasy football show on The Ringer. You can find his work as a writer there as well. A lot of fantasy stuff, but really good football stories, even if you're not a fantasy football player. He'll join us at 535 to do the Aaron Rodgers thing, but also some other Packers and NFL topics that I want to talk about with him too we're talking about how the Sixers blew a 26 point lead last night not to just laugh at the Sixers and not to make ourselves feel better although as Bucks fans I think we do feel a little bit better today after last night but because it's a great example of how these NBA teams these players and these coaches almost manifest their own criticism where Joel Embiid's like I can't stay healthy so he so he gets hurt and he plays like he's out of shape Ben Simmons is like, I can't shoot. Everybody says I can't shoot. So he doesn't shoot. He has no field goal attempts in the fourth quarter of the last two games. Doc Rivers knows my team's choke. So what are we going to do? We're going to choke, right? There was, have you seen um, Bo Burnham's new special on Netflix? It's called Inside. Um, And if you haven't seen it, I, I guess this is difficult to explain. But for those of you who had, and if you haven't, I'll do my best to explain it. But there's a bit that he does where he makes a video 
and then he makes a reaction video to his own video. You spend time on YouTube, there's a lot of people who just have huge followings watching videos and reacting to them, which seems backwards, but there's a huge market for it. It's not my favorite thing to watch, but when he's breaking down his video of himself, right, in the video, Bo Burnham is, is, is ripping on himself. He's saying, like, oh, I'm a tool, I'm so pretentious, I'm this, I'm that. And then in the reaction video, Bo Burnham also is saying, like, see, here's what I'm doing right now is, is I'm levying criticism against myself before others can levy it first. Because I think if I'm a self-aware jerk, well, then that makes me less of a jerk, but it doesn't, right? So Bo Burnham in this new Netflix special is basically pointing out, like, hey, I'm criticizing myself before anybody else can do it. Therefore, it, it makes me better. Weirdly, I think that's what's happening with the Sixers and the Bucks. Right, Giannis knows he's not a closer. People say he's not a closer, so then he goes out and, and he flops, right? Or Ben Simmons, ah, uh, people say that I can't shoot, so I guess I won't shoot. He has no field goal attempts in the fourth quarter. It's weird how these teams are manifesting their own criticisms in real time. Here's Charles Barkley, just because it's entertaining after last night's game. This was a complete choke job. You don't be up 26 in a must-win game. Did they just stop playing did they just stop doing what had gotten them there i'm not even uh, listen first of all you gave up 40 points in the last quarter you're up 26 first of all you you should have been mad from the last game when you gave up when you gave up the eight point 18 point lead you come home you play you're fantastic you get up 26 but the problem Ernie, is they brag about how good they are defensively tell me well i should be the defensive player yeah i should be the defensive player yeah i'm like Yo, man, you gave up 40 at home in a playoff game. Uh, they just choked that away. I, I, I could get here and say um, Lou Williams was fantastic and Gallinaro was fantastic to get him back in the game, and then Trey finished it off. But that was – I really want to fly to Philly and just listen to the radio tomorrow on my off day. They, man, they, and let me tell you something, they deserve to get roasted. As a, as a radio nerd, as a radio person, I would love to be in Philly in my car and listen to terrestrial radio of what they're saying today. I understand I could pull up a stream. It's not the same. Philly sports radio is, is nuts. The Sixers manifesting their own criticisms. The Bucks doing much of the same. Here's a little bit of Coach Bud the other night saying, we need to be better on offense, which I'm like, well, yes, I, I agree. I don't know why you're telling us that, though. You're the coach. Please figure out a way to be better on offense. I think our spacing can be better. You know, I think getting in and out of things quicker, you know, maybe to second side and things like that. So, you know, I, I think we can work on it. We can get a little bit better. I think just, you know, it takes a lot of energy to play both ends of the court. And, um, you know, sometimes people don't think about it. But, you know, moving in and out of things offensively, getting to second actions, third actions, you know, can help your offense and hopefully create better looks. I think they should sit down watch the entire game, the condensed game, don't need the timeouts and stuff, and just mark down plays where they're like, don't do that again. Because I think they could trim like a third of the plays off of this last game where just blanket statement, don't do that. Hey, that three-point shot is terrible. Don't do that. Cut it off. There you go. Uh, that isolation play where you tried to go one-on-one against James or uh, on Kevin Durant, don't do that again. Like, I think you could cut off so much of the fat of this game by just sitting down and watching film and saying, nope, 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 nope. And then what are you left over with? Well, then let's start there, right? That can be your new foundation for the next game plan. Coach Bud's saying that the defense, when 
operating really, really well and aggressively should help the offense. You know, we got to get more stops. We got to play off of misses, play against a defense that's that's not set. It all adds up, and um, you know, I think we'll be better in the in our next game. See, the thing is, I don't think they need to get more stops. Now, if Kevin Durant looks like he's going to go for 50 again, maybe think about sending a double team his way, please, God. But they've held the Nets to 115, 125, 86-107. That's a game you should be able to win. The 125 is a little bit extreme. That game was a blowout, so let's throw that out. In games that have been competitive, the Nets have scored 115, 83, 96, and 114. Like, I don't think you need more stops. You need to get your offense under control because your defense has been fine. The question mark with the Nets was never their offense. They could score, and the Bucks have actually been able to help them in check. What everybody assumed was the Nets can't defend, well, and yet they're shutting down the Bucks. So that's got to change. Uh starting tonight. I don't know that their offense is relying on their defense. They've gotten stops, and they've been able to run the floor. Now, there are times where you're going to have to run in the half court because Kevin Durant, Kyrie, all these guys, they're just such good shot makers. You can't you can't assume that you'll have endless transition opportunities. Now, you'll have them here and there, and you need to make the most of them, but you're going to run a lot of half-court sets because the Nets make shots. And when you run half-court sets, don't take early threes in the shot clock. They're stupid. Don't let Giannis take more than a couple of threes tonight. They're stupid. If you're going to ISO a player, don't ISO Kevin Durant. That's stupid. And if James Harden is out there, do your best to find a matchup where you can hunt them. I know, I think it's a little bit of a misnomer. The Bucs should be going at James Harden every possession. Well, that's really difficult to do when you only have one true point guard and your one point guard isn't even a true point guard. You have Drew Holiday and you can use him to hunt mismatches, but what if he gets in foul trouble like he did the other night? Like, it's not as easy as find James Harden and attack him. Oh, with who? Brooke Lopez? With Giannis, with Chris, not exactly the best ball handlers in the world. P.J. Tucker's not a ball handler, period. Just something to chew on as we get closer to the game. I want to talk more about Coach Bud. There's a good chance tonight will be his final game as the Bucks head coach. And if that's the case, I want to get a couple of things off my chest before we get to that bridge. So let's do that. Coming up next, Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, Bucks facing elimination tonight. Great. I'm calm in the face of danger. Doesn't bother me. To start the show, I related my current state of being to the one of Hank Asak Schrader in Breaking Bad right before he gets his face popped in where he looks at the guy cold face and says, do what you're going to do. That's how I feel about the Bucs. Just do what you're going to do. I'm ready. I think the national media is more stressed about the Bucs, honestly, than Bucs fans are. Like, we've seen this before. We've watched this movie. We've been down this road. We're prepared. Find me on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. My name, Grant Bills. You can also text the show, 608-796-2558. Coach Wench is optimistic, which is a good sign. He says Bucks by double digits tonight. Vegas would agree. Uh, this one is from a new texter. Hey, Grant, great show. Sure would stink if you met some WKTY listeners at Snuffy's Bar on West Ave tonight. Would love to watch the game with you. <laughs> Snuffy's, huh? That's a uh, that's a bar with a pretty regular crowd. I don't know if I want to insert myself into such a strong nucleus of regulars. Although, I watched the game by myself on Tuesday night. I just got angry by myself in my living room. So I, I do need to be with people tonight. I will keep that in mind. Text back. Let me know who you are. Um, Snuffies has got its regular crowd. I don't know if I want to go upsetting that. 
nothing against Snuffies, but they have they have their crowd. Maybe I can maybe I can maybe I can juice them up, get in there and, and be the cheerleader. I don't know. But thank you for the text and the invite. It's uh, noted. Put it in the put it in the file. Josh tweets in at Wisco Grand says Bucks in seven, but if they don't win the series, who should replace Bud? What 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 what? We can't say the Bucks are gonna win in seven, but also if they don't win, like we're gonna have to fire the coach. So like we, I I don't know, who should replace Bud? I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a search firm. I actually love that you tweeted this at me, Josh. Um, and I didn't mean to poo poo it. Bucks in seven. I love your enthusiasm. I want to talk about NBA coaches. It's Coach Bud. Great chance if the Bucks are eliminated tonight, this is Coach Bud's final game with the Bucks, right? And I'm so, so conflicted on that concept, and I'm so conflicted on Coach Bud for a few reasons. And I feel before we get to tonight's game, this is something I got to get off my chest because if the Bucks lose tonight, tomorrow is going to be Coach Bud should be fired day. And then next Monday, maybe they will have made a coaching move. Maybe they will commit to Bud. And by that time, we're backpedaling. It's like, well, I always thought this. I always wanted to say this. I always felt that. No, no, no. I'm going to lay it out here before we get to tonight's game. So if they make a coaching move, I have a foundation to go off of. Right? And I think the NBA, it's it's a little bit different than the NFL with coaches. Right? In the NFL, if a coach gets fired, chances are, for one reason or another, they deserve it. Like Adam Gase. He had it coming. You know? Like, I don't even remember. Who was coaching the Texans? last year. Romeo Cornell. Oh, Bill O'Brien. Oh my goodness. It feels so long ago before the pandemic or during the pandemic. Bill O'Brien had it coming, right? Jeff Fisher, a couple of times had it coming. Matt Patricia had it coming. No one looked at these coaching hirings or firings rather and said, what an injustice. Like no one's arguing. The Lions were right there. They were so close to finally breaking through with Matt Patricia. No one's writing that column. No one's recording that podcast. If an NFL coach gets fired, chances are they deserve it. Suppose you could argue about Doug Peterson, but I think there were other factors at play that probably we don't know about. In the NBA, coaches being fired, it's, it's a little bit different. Like uh, Rick Carlisle is announced today. He's not going to return to the Mavericks. And I want to talk about that story coming up after this next break. I was planning to talk about the Mavericks story anyways because it's interesting. I think it it speaks to the league at a larger level. Rick Carlisle's a good coach. I, I don't think anybody expected the Mavericks to move on from him. Like, There's a lot more drama in the NBA. Like Injuries play a huge role. And I think sometimes players just quit on coaches. They just say, you know what? This ain't working. I'm not, I'm not going to war for you 82 times throughout a regular season. I'm not putting my ligaments and my joints on the line. I'm not playing defense for you. This team is going nowhere. I'm done. I think players sometimes just do that to quit on coaches. Where in football, like, it's a little harder to do. You can't slack off in football. You get killed. Baseball, half of the season you're eating sunflower seeds anyways. In basketball, it's that nice middle ground where there's room to slack and there's room to be intense, and it's kind of up to these players to decide which way the needle's going to go. And sometimes players just quit on coaches. Like, look at the Hawks. The Hawks are an amazing example. They're now coached by Nate McMillan. But when the season started, they were coached by Lloyd Pierce. So Bogdan Bogdanovich misses most of the season, as does DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter missed a bunch of the season, came back. Now he's done again. He only played 23 games. Trey Young doesn't really heat up until late in the season. Trey Young wasn't even an all-star this year. So for people who are saying, wow, you, like, rip on Trey Young some more. You guys were really wrong on that. Well, no, he wasn't a good player earlier this year. He wasn't even an all-star reserve. And now we're seeing what he's doing in the postseason. So things have changed, 
right? But earlier this year, Bogdan's out, DeAndre Hunter's out, Trey Young isn't playing at a high level. Was all of that supposed to be Lloyd Pierce's fault that Bogdan wasn't available, DeAndre Hunter wasn't available, and Trey Young just kind of got off to a slow start? That's not Lloyd Pierce's fault. Did Nate McMillan come in and all of a sudden make huge changes? No. The team got healthy. They got a little rhythm. Yeah, maybe the change boosted the team a little bit, but it's not like Lloyd Pierce was this cancer holding the team down. The team just wasn't healthy. And look, I'm not going to argue that the Timberwolves are some sneaky, well-run team. Like with the Browns right now, I think a lot of casual fans don't understand how smart the Browns are being. Where you could be like, you know who's really well-run? The Browns. People would say, no, shut up. Yeah, Browns are a really smartly ran organization. Nobody's arguing that the Minnesota Timberwolves are actually like this this well-hidden bastion of basketball acumen. Like, well, actually, you know, the front office got a lot of smart people. It's actually the Timberwolves. You never know it, but the Wolves are well-run. I'm not arguing that the Wolves are well-run, but when Ryan Saunders was cut loose by the Wolves, they were bad. They were 7-24, but at that point in the season, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns had only played five games together, and Malik Beasley went to jail. How is that supposed to be Ryan Saunders' fault? You know? Like, I like Chris Finch, but this team has bigger issues than Ryan Saunders and his comb-over and whether or not he can energize a team, right? So sometimes in the NBA, coaches just, they get moved on from, for whatever reason. Injuries play a big role. I think sometimes players just quit. I think owners are a little bit more fickle in the NBA. General managers might be the same way. It's just, it's just a few things to chew on as we consider what the Bucks are about to have to do with Coach Bud. Uh, look, I think this series is over. I made that clear. If they come back, we'll deal with it next week, right? I think this was done when they lost game five. They blew it. They had an amazing opportunity. They let it slip. And I think the series is over, and therefore I think Coach Bud is over, I assume. But before we just go cut and loo- cut, you know, cut and loose Coach Bud, I-, I think we have to consider a few things, right? Now, as Josh tweets in, he's like, well, who should the Bucks hire to replace Bud? Here's the thing. When we do coaching hirings and firings, the argument that I don't like to hear is if I say, hey, Mike Patton is a, is a bad defensive coordinator, his inattention to detail really cost them in the NFC Championship game. Well, then some fan will turn around and say, well, who should they hire instead? Let's hear your replacement idea. It's like, shut up. I'm not a search firm. Like, don't ask me. It's not up to me. I'm just calling balls and strikes here. Mike Pettin was kind of a nincompoop when it mattered most. They need somebody else. It's not up to me to decide who else. It was the same thing when Mike McCarthy got cut loose. It's like, I think they should probably need a new coach soon. Well, who should they hire? I don't know. I'm not Mark Murphy. It's not on me to decide. Once again, I'm calling balls and strikes here. So I don't know who they should hire to replace Coach Bud, but a couple of things to think about. I'm not implying that Coach Bud is Phil Jackson here. I'm implying that we should consider possible other issues with this Bucks team outside of the realm of coaching, right? Let's consider Giannis, for example. I think he's rather misused. Most folks do. I think he's Shaq. He's not Kobe. He's not Durant. And he's not like Allen Iverson or Magic Johnson, I think is sometimes... Coach Bud lines him up to be. I think Giannis needs a coach to reevaluate how he's used. And I think Aaron Rodgers is a really good comparison because when Rodgers at the end of his rope with McCarthy, he was all twisted out of sorts. He was trying to do it all himself. Rodgers, yes, can extend plays and he can improvise and he can use his legs, but that should be a secondary skill set. Rodgers should only escape the pocket and only extend plays when the scripted play didn't work which this last year was the case and wasn't it beautiful? He won an MVP. Career high in completion percentage, which is really difficult to do at age 36, 37. 
right? That secondary skill set is just that. It's secondary. And it's the same with Giannis. Yes, he can handle okay for a seven-footer, and he can run the point if need be, but that should be secondary. Only when natural opportunities present themselves for Giannis to run the offense and facilitate and handle should he run the offense and facilitate and handle. Transition. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. When this team is running and Giannis can get in space, absolutely. But when it's slow and slow in the half-court offense, I want Giannis on the block. I want him in different places. I don't want him at the top of the key. Everyone's spreading out and slowing down. There is a certain structural issue currently with Giannis as the best player of this team. He's a limited player. He's a specific player. And if you bring in another coach who's going to try to use Giannis the same way, you're going to get the same result. What about Brooke Lopez? It drives me insane to see him parked on the three-point line all game. Right? I think they should put him on the block. But then you get your own problems. Then things slow down. It's less efficient offense. It's more matchup dependent. And there are successful teams in the postseason who are playing with faster, smaller centers who can rim run. I knew I was going to mispronounce that when I read on my notes today. Rim run. Centers who can rim run. Guys like DeAndre Ayton. You watch the Suns. DeAndre Ayton is trucking it up and down the floor. Looking for any, any opportunity to get to the rim. Right? It's the same with Clint Capella. A little slimmer, a little faster, a little more athletic, and he can rim run. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe you can't win with a center like Brooke Lopez. I'm not saying that they should trade everyone. I'm just trying to consider structural issues within this roster that aren't dependent on Coach Bud, aren't affected by Coach Bud. What about the bench? Right, The last three years, as Bucks fans, we ourselves have thought, oh, this guy's such a steal. Oh, he's one of the best bench players in the league. Bucks have a great bench. Guys like George Hill and Pat Connaughton and Marvin Williams and Nikola Mirotic and Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis can't even play in this series. He didn't even play a minute in game five. Do you see what Lou Williams did last night for the Hawks? Lou Williams played 23 minutes at 15 points, and he was plus 31. And that's a player who can't defend. That's why it was so wildly impressive that P.J. Tucker could go, like, plus 20 and be the, the leader in plus minus for the Bucks in a playoff game in a game in which he didn't score. Right? Same for Lou Williams. Look at the impact he made in that game last night, despite being a terrible defender. We need to reconsider maybe how this Bucks roster is constructed. Yes, I think coaching is an issue too. But if you bring in a brand new coaching staff and they try to do by and large the same things, you're going to get by and large the same results. And if they would have won that triple over, double overtime game in game three against Toronto in 2019, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now because we'd be talking about a Bucks team that won a title. But that's not what happened because, of course, it's not what happened because we live in Wisconsin and we can't have nice things. So we have to consider the coach. And the roster. 608-796-2558. A couple of texts before we take the break. Aaron in Janesville. So I'm taking my daughter to the Bucks game tonight, and she is absolutely committed to wearing her Rogers number 12 jersey to the game. It's like my two Wisconsin sports anxieties merging into a potential groin kick. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah. I mean, show a solidarity, right? Rogers is a Bucks owner. So your daughter is just supporting the team in another way. Look at it that way. I think it's a positive. Keep the dream alive that Rodgers comes back. Todd in Eau Claire says, did Brooke Lopez make it back to Milwaukee or is he still standing at the three-point line in New Jersey? Well done, Todd. That's good humor. We have entered the comedy zone. I appreciate Yeah, I think he's still standing in the corner waiting for the ball. Get on the block, Brooke. Please. Please and thank you. Go body someone. Throw some elbows around. I'm sick of the only players in foul trouble being P.J. Tucker and Drew Holiday. What about Brooke Lopez? Get down there and smash some bows. Throw some bows. Move your elbows around, Brooke. You're seven foot tall, 
and you're built like a, a telephone pole or a tree trunk. Go do some damage, please. Good humor, Todd. Good text, 608-796-2558. Let's take a break. I, I want to continue to talk about the NBA. We're going for the clean sweep. Let's finish the hour, all NBA. Some other stories. This Dallas Mavericks thing is wild, and they're dealing with a coaching change as well. So why don't we talk about that, and then we'll connect the books as we do, bringing our Wisconsin teams to even the bigger stories. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name Grant Bills. Twitter, Wisco Grant. Talking text line 608-796-2558. Todd and Eau Claire with the text of the day. Entering the show into the comedy area fully. Todd says, did Brooke Lopez make it back to Milwaukee or is he still standing at the three-point line in New Jersey? I believe they play at the Barclays Center and I apologize for not knowing my geography of New York. Although I am watching the Sopranos right now, so I should know the New Jersey they have a turnpike or whatever. That's about all I know so far. I'll get back to you with what I learned. I think they play in Brooklyn, though. So I think he would still be playing in Brooklyn. But that's not the point. The joke is hilarious. Nonetheless, Todd, I'm sorry to dissect your joke. I, I hate to do that to you. Mike and Madison says, you're right about the Bucks, no doubt. But for your mental health, never say never. They can win both games. Then we will have a new narrative in Milwaukee. We certainly would. Um, I Am I being, like, am I going off, uh, like, completely, how do I want to put this? Am I so off base with my take? Am I out of touch by just saying that the series is done? Like, game five was it. They had it. They lost it. It's done. It's over. I feel like you all are quite optimistic. The Bucs could very well win tonight. The odds in my mind that they win this series are um, negative. Negative. Completely negative. It's a negative number. It's like minus, you know, 10% or whatever. I don't know. Some imaginary number. I'm not a mathematician. Uh, While we're talking NBA, let's just go for the full hour. Let's like finishing a frozen pizza. Let's just wrap it up. Make it all the way to 5 o'clock, only talking NBA. Few headlines that I cannot wrap my mind around from the last 24 or 48 hours. Both on Young Stars, and they're both from The Athletic. The Athletic, they're just arsonists. And I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I-, I mean that as a joke. Journalism is important, and these reporters have done a great job. It's been very accurate, even though they've taken some fire from Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban called this report absolute BS. Well, since this report dropped, the GM has exited, the head coach has exited, I'm beginning to think, as Cuban said, it was not total BS. Sam Amick and Tim Cato at The Athletic. Bombshell report on Dallas and their front office. Uh, let me read you the story. It's about Luca. Here's an excerpt. I will change into my reading aloud voice. <clears throat> Doncic, multiple sources say, intends to sign the Supermax extension this summer, which will net him more than $200 million over the next five seasons. When uh, And he spoke to that in his exit interview. I'm paraphrasing now. But a high-level power broker within the league says that the Mavericks recognize that there's an urgency to build a contending team around Doncic after losing in the first round each of the last two years. The clock is ticking. Internally, there are concerns that the front office's dysfunction has hurt its ability to do so and that poor relationships caused Doncic with key members of the franchise, including Valgaris, whose impact uh, could impact his current desire to remain in Dallas long-term. My God, I could never be a teacher. I can't read aloud to save my life today. The point being, this article is saying, Luca will sign his extension this summer, but after that, good luck. It's like, wait, what, four or five years down the road? That, that's the article that we're writing? And don't get me wrong. I'm not questioning this reporting. This has proven out to be very true. There is dysfunction. I'm just questioning the point. The, this story is 
phrased as there's front office dysfunction. Maybe you lose Luca when Luca has specifically said, nah, I'm resigning the summer. So I guess now we set our eyes on, uh, what would it be? 2026. Can't wait. Let me write it down in my planner. Another story that came out. This one was about Zion. This is even more bizarre. He just finished his second NBA season, by the way. Zion has combined for 85 games the last two years in his professional career. Here's the excerpt also from The Athletic. Parting ways with Stan Van Gundy after just one season is not the biggest problem facing the Pelicans. They have been able, unable to put together the right elements to make rising star Zion Williamson and his family happy. Multiple sources have told The Athletic that certain family members want Williamson on another team. Okay, this is me speaking here for a sec. What is the role of a family in something like this? Like, do I have to go up to my boss's office and ask if he's heard from my mother? Hey, boss. Uh, yeah, show's going good. Thank you. It just is my mom called. You know, I she likes to stay in the loop on these things. Like, I love my mom. Love my dad. Going to see him this weekend. But what? His family wants him elsewhere? The article continues. Among the targets of their criticism was Van Gundy, who they felt was too rigid and demanding as a head coach, but also with the organization, which they claimed did not live up to what they felt should have been the standard for a star like Williamson. Numerous opposing league executives had heard the complaints, and they were confirmed by Pelicans officials. Wait a minute. So the family doesn't think that they are giving the necessary treatment to star Zion Williamson? Zion's played 85 games. Like, he's awesome. And he's entertaining. And he makes the Pelicans relevant and exciting. But the organization didn't show him due respect. He's 21. How, is he even 21 yet? How old is he? Zion age. Like, I, he's 20. Oh, he's got the same uh, birthday as my sister. That's nuts. My sister was born on the same day as Zion Williamson, July 6, 2000. That's, I guess that's not relevant at all, but I find it interesting. You're not respecting him as a superstar. Make the playoffs first. Don't win a series. Don't win a title. Just make the playoffs. Like the best players in the world. A superstar you can take. Russell Westbrook did it. Luka's doing it. Right? Bradley Beal and the Wizards did it. It's so odd to me. I don't really, I don't know. Whatever. Whatever the family says. Family first, to quote Bateman in Arrested Development. Let's take a break. Talk a little bit more about the Bucks, And then we'll get into football as well. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. Appreciate you hanging out. My name is Grant Bills. Talk and text on the talk and text line. 608-796-2558. I got to say that I got a text and I'm not really sure what it means. Should I stumble through it on air or should I discard it? Anybody have have an opinion? Ah, Let's try to struggle through it. What the heck? This is from an anonymous listener who says, I'm telling you that if you do a look into a... Gemetria over an extended period of time, it will change your whole worldview. Have a good one, though. I don't know if this is in relation to my negativity about the Bucks. Now, I have looked up a Gemetria. It's an alphanumeric code of assigning numerical value to a name, word, or phrase based on its letters. Sounds like an Attendorf cipher, to quote my favorite film, uh, National Treasure. Also, what can change your whole world? Mushrooms. Uh, 
thank you for the text. 608-796-2558. That is cryptic and enjoyable. Coming up in 12 minutes, Danny Heifetz of The Ringer. Fantasy football podcast with Danny Kelly. He also just writes really good stories. He actually wrote one today about Dave, uh, Lil Dicky's show, which is back on FX. So maybe we'll work a pop culture question in, too, if we're really feeling frisky. We have reference Breaking Bad and National Treasure and and Bill Burnham or Bo Burnham's new, geez, new special today. So I guess we're all over the pop culture anyways, but maybe we'll just double down on it with Danny. He'll join us coming up in a few minutes. So best behavior, new guest. We need to impress him. We're going to talk Packers. And I thought we would lay a little bit of the groundwork first. Like, let's catch up on Aaron Rodgers. It's been a while, right? We haven't, we haven't, we haven't dug our heels in with this topic in a few days. We've kind of picked our spots with when we've talked about Aaron Rodgers. Only really when things are interesting do we kind of, like, bring it up. Like, if nothing's going on, like, oh, James Jones said that it's fixable. Oh, okay, thanks. Let me clear my schedule. We'll talk about that. No, I'm talking about, like, a change, a development, something. Okay, and I think we got something interesting. I think we got a little bit of a sign this week. Jay Glazer went on the Pat McAfee show, and a lot of it is stuff we've heard before, but there's a statement in here. There's a a, a line of thinking that comes from Jay Glazer where I'm like, hmm, hmm, interesting, perplexing, significant. Okay, so this is a minute, 13 seconds. I kind of cut it up to cut out the crap because, you know, on the Pat McAfee show, somebody says something and then they all yell. I I got rid of that. So an efficient summary, I guess, of what Jay Glazer had to report on the Pat McAfee show earlier this week regarding Aaron Rodgers. Enjoy. I know he still wants out, without a doubt. Absolutely. Still wants out. They didn't suddenly come out and insult him and go, okay, now it's fixed. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that wouldn't make much sense. You're right. I guess that wouldn't make sense. You're right. Uh, What do you think happens? How do you think it plays out? What are you, is is there teams really interested? Allegedly, the Broncos. Have they made offers? Is there offers been made? Have offers been made, do you think? No, because it didn't even go that far. Because every time somebody called the Packers, it was immediately shut down. So, look, what these teams need to do is continue to call and continue to call, whether it's for him, Deshaun Watts, any of these guys, like, continue to call to show interest because what happens in the NFL is teams are so afraid to make the first call because you they think you lose your leverage. But a lot of times, if you call a team for a player that's not available, but the player is giving you – you have troubles with them, a lot of times these teams will go, all right, you know what? We, they keep calling – like, if they catch you on the right day, yeah. You sit there and go, and players have been traded this way. You go, you know what? We have another offer here. Let's just get rid of the headache right now. Let's just move on. But if no one calls, you don't really have that option to do it. Afraid to call. You don't want to be the first one to call. Trust me. Been there, right, fellas? How do I send a text? Huh? Don't want to come across as needy. Should I call? Should I wait 24 hours? Although the calling thing, that's kind of worked its way out of our lexicon, right? Because... If you watch older movies, right, you'll go on you'll go on a first date, and you don't want to call, like, an hour after you get home to set something up or to talk about it. You, like, there's a waiting period, like buying a gun, at least somewhere outside of Texas. There's a waiting period, right, where you have to sit, and you're like, I don't let it stew. I don't want to call. I don't want to be needy. That That's kind of left. It's kind of left our lexicon a little bit because now everybody just texts and Snapchats and, I don't know, FaceTimes. So I guess it's changed a little bit. I, I get not wanting to come across as needy. I don't know if you lose. Yeah, I think you do lose leverage when you come across as needy. That's not what Jay Glazer's getting at here, and that's not the highlight that I wanted to talk about. The story within the story here, listen to Jay Glazer 
pass along this message. And it's got to be coming from the mouth of David Dunn, who is Aaron Rodgers' agent. And all of this info comes from Aaron Rodgers' camp one way or another because that's how these people get their sources, get their information. But there's one part of this that's more blatant than anything else I've heard, where Jay Glazer is passing along the message, teams, keep calling, keep calling. I know the Packers are hanging up on you. Keep calling. It's like, wow. Wow. Like, I know that that's how the league works, right? Agents get their information out through people like Jay Glazer, through Adam Schefter, through Tom Pelissero, or, or whoever, right? But that's just, that's just blatant, right? Keep calling. Keep calling the Packers. Even though they hang up, keep calling and asking. Okay, sure. So obvious where that's coming from. And I'm not hating the player. I'm not hating the game. I just, I think it's funny how blatant. It is, right? Like, what would be a good real-life analogy for this? I don't even know that I want to try to struggle through to, to find one, right? There's nothing subtle about this. This is, not, this is not light-handed. There's no touch here. This is full forward, like, hey, Aaron Rodgers wants out. And also, hey, if you've called about Aaron Rodgers and you've run into a wall, call again. Keep calling. Don't stop calling. Please call. Call, call, call. One call, that's all. Nope, not here. We need more than one call. Like, this is thick. Pouring it on thick. It's just funny that that messaging is so, 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 so obvious. I get a kick out of it. 608-796-2558, the talking text line. So our texture from an anonymous source telling me that I can change my worldview. Uh, we have another texture now. Jason, our friend Jason Breacher, has said that's a Russian bot. Really? It has a 608 area code. Are the Russian bots really that sneaky? Can use the area code against us? Something else. So it's so aggressive, though, and most of the listeners who text in and disagree are very aggressive, which is why I guess it fooled me. It's a good thing I'm not voting. Otherwise, this election interference totally would have worked. I'm just an idiot show host reading nonsense on the air for everybody to hear. You can tweet at me as well. I was Grant. Last time I checked, we haven't gotten any tweets from Russian bots, but we have gotten a tweet. I'm sorry, Big Joe. I didn't get to this. He says, Big Joe, shout out. I'm getting a bonus at my job in July. And I got a few more Beloit Snappers games coming up. Lots of good things coming to my way. Big Joe, you are a magnet for positivity. Congratulations on your promotion and another bonus coming in July. I don't know if there's anyone who's killing it professionally to the level of you. Compliments. Compliments, Big Joe. 608-796-255. I appreciate all of you texting and tweeting in. We got to take a little bit of an early break because I want to leave ourselves enough time to talk to Danny. I don't want to rush through this conversation. Danny Heifetz of The Ringer will join us next. Fantasy Football Podcast with Danny Kelly. I'm not necessarily going to ask him about fantasy rankings, although maybe that's a good jumping off point. Like, let's say we want to talk about an individual player, an offensive player. Well, fantasy football is a good lens to preview expectations for that player and production for that player and what could happen this season. So we'll start there. Talk with Danny Heifetz of The Ringer, new guest to the Wisco Sports Show, coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills. On the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. Hope you're having a swell afternoon. Bucks facing elimination tonight. Nice. Brewers are trying to avoid losing four in a row. Nice. So, in the midst of it all, I thought we'd talk a little football today. Not just Aaron Rodgers drama, but hopefully some other topics as well. I think it's like 
breakfast for dinner. Right? Like, sure, talking about the Packers outside of Aaron Rodgers today might not fit. I guess it might not make a whole lot of sense, but it's fun and it tastes good. So we're going to do it. There'll be time tomorrow to talk about the Brewers and the Bucks, whatever happens tonight. You can tweet me at Wisco Grant. You can text the show 608-796-2558. Our next guest, first time guest on the show, that's Danny Heifetz of The Ringer. You can find his work, theringer.com. All of their podcasts are on Spotify. The Ringer is exclusive to Spotify, which is great because listening to podcasts on Apple Music, I'm sorry, it kind of stinks. Like Spotify is just better, so you can find his work there. Uh, let's get into it. I talked to him right before the show started at like 3.30. Uh, I was going to lie and try to pass this off as live, but it's not. It was recorded like an hour and a half ago. So here it is, Danny Heifetz. Danny Heifetz, The Ringer, first time guest. And Danny, first, it's a pleasure to be talking with you. I like your work. I'm glad to have you on. And I know you spent time with the Washington football team, and now you're in L.A., doing stuff for the ringer. I got to ask, have you ever been to Wisconsin, Green Bay, Milwaukee, Madison, anything, anytime? I have not, but I have to immediately disclose I'm actually a Packers shareholder. So you're an owner. I'm an owner. I'm an NFL owner. It's, it's a very uncomfortable uh, stance, you know, to be an NFL owner covering the NFL professionally. But I feel that I've, I've navigated it in a way that hopefully doesn't, you know, destroy yeah. any journalistic ethics. But, yeah. You know. Why? How are you a Packers owner? How did that come to be? If you're not a Packers fan, if you've never been to Wisconsin. The truth is I actually got a share as a gift for my brother, and then um, my family surprised me and got me a share too. I was just going to get him a share as a, as a gift because I thought, figured he'd want to be an NFL owner. It seemed like a better gift than an actual physical item I could get him. And so I'm an owner now. Also, just you know, it's nice. You know, I go to the meetings, and, you know, Goodell asks my opinions and stuff. It's nice, you know? Well, the it's Packers, nice the Packers you say this jokingly, the Packers do have a shareholder meeting, and people do go, and it's taken very seriously. So, you know, you're not a far off. A deep regret of mine was not getting to the 100th anniversary shareholder meeting because uh, uh, one of my closest friends actually had their bachelor party that weekend, and I wasn't able to go, which uh. really was a tough decision. Ironically, he was a Packers fan, too. An NFL owner. Well, Danny Heifetz writes for The Ringer, podcast for The Ringer, and NFL owner. See, this is why I ask, is because sometimes there's a random tidbit or a connection or, or something. So Danny is a Packers owner as well. You're a better Packer fan than I. I'm sure you could have guessed, but like Packers fans are just like, they're tired of this Rodgers story. I remember this is yeah. a nightmare when the story first broke, because it broke at like 3 p.m. I go on at 4, and I had to throw my whole show out and like question whether or not Aaron Rodgers was ever going to play for the Packers again. Very traumatic, at least in the aspect of sports, in the context of sports, as traumatic as it can be. Like We were all crushed, and now months later, we're just kind of sick of it. So I'm excited, although you're a oh, Packers yeah. shareholder, like to talk to you about this somebody who's kind of outside of this echo chamber of Packers fandom. Like, How do you perceive Rodgers? The Packers and like any missteps the two parties have made in the past or, or currently, in your opinion, might be making right now. Well, so first off, you mentioned being sick of it. I think what's funny about obviously there's a lot of layers of this that are reminiscent of Brett Favre. One of the funny ones is that the Brett Favre retirement stuff used to be what everyone talked about when there was no sports stuff. Yeah. About like, oh, it's the middle of baseball season. It's July. Let's just fly a helicopter over Brett Favre's house in Mississippi. And that, that agonized Packers fans, and now we got like 15 years later, like this is once again the thing to talk about when we've got nothing to talk about, which is hilarious. So in terms of what I think about Rodgers, I don't, look, as an outsider here, I guess I'm an owner, maybe it's my fault, but uh, <laughs> no one looks good. No one looks good. Brian Gutekunst and the Packers don't look good for drafting Jordan Love, obviously. They don't look good for how they've handled this, and they don't look good for the way they lost that game. But also, I don't think Rodgers is necessarily going to come out with this looking good. Unless he shows up for training camp, he will squander any goodwill I think he has left. Because I think if he misses games, obviously people are going to turn on him. Packers fans, I believe, will probably turn on him in large numbers. 
But if, even if he messes with training camp, any outcome to this season that isn't like a high-level playoff game, I think Packers fans are going to go back and wonder, well, maybe they could have used the 10 days of camp that Rodgers missed. You know, it's always going to be a what-if. So I, I don't think anyone's necessarily coming out looking good at this except for maybe Jeopardy for locking him down. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Packers fans, I think, buy into this to varying degrees. Like, we're skeptical of some reports. Some people believe that this is total crock, right? There's Everybody's on a different place on the spectrum. What really jumped out to me, the Jay Glazer thing on McAfee the other day. And, like, I, I understand how this works, right? I know these reporters pass along information from agents, right? That's how they source things. And Rogers' agent obviously being David Dunn. The messaging from Glazer the other day where he, he said explicitly, teams need to keep calling, keep calling, keep calling. I'm like, wow, okay, that's, that's really aggressive. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's it's at the end of the day, I, I think there's a real politique here, which is, are the Packers really going to deal him? And obviously, yeah. there's no choice but to take the public stance that they're not going to do it. Uh, I think my gut still says that he'll be there for the beginning of training camp. I still think that that's the way it is going to. I, I mean, it's not like a lock or anything, but I think he does show up, and maybe that's a complete misread of the situation. But you never know, right? Because. Look, not to be crude, but at the end of the day, like, obviously, you know, there's reports like, that, you know, he didn't speak to his family for at least mm-hmm. uh, a certain duration of time. Um, there was a report he sent back to his family. I think his parents sent him Christmas gifts. He mailed them back. You know, this is someone that, you know, it's like if you can do that with your family, like, I don't think it's going to be particularly difficult to give the cold shoulder to your employee. Uh, that's just the way it is. So. At the end of the day, it comes down to how serious he is about this, and we don't know. I think the, the James Jones and what James Jones, the old receiver, has been saying, basically kind of implying – like, what did James Jones tweet? Relax, the yeah. way Rodgers did like six years ago? I, I That's the kind of stuff that makes me very inclined to believe that Rodgers is going to come back. I think that's optimistic. I think common sense would indicate he probably would come back, right? He's 37. Like, it, he doesn't have that many – he doesn't have you know enough seasons to start throwing them away, but then again, Rodgers is a different kind of petty, like you mentioned, and if he'll cut off his family, maybe he will just throw away a season just for the sake yeah, of but age 37. I don't want to put myself in Aaron Rodgers' head. I look at it this way. He would lose a lot of money if he didn't play, and like a lot of money, but I don't think it's necessarily about money. If he doesn't come back, everyone's going to blame him for this. Like It's oh, just yeah. the full stop. That's the thing, and I think that that can't be underrated. Packers fans will hate Aaron Rodgers if he just doesn't come back after they were like, I don't know, two plays for making the Super Bowl. I understand that Lafleur botched the the you know that third down call and, the, and kicking on fourth down there at the end of the game. They Gutekunst botched cutting Jake Coomer. I guess Gutekunst <laughs> definitely botched not having more cornerback depth because the real problem in that championship game, the real reason they lost, is Kevin King had a hamstring injury and they didn't have the depth to take him off the field. Kevin King's going to get blamed for that game forever. The real problem is they didn't have cornerback depth, which was a problem all year, and everyone knew it. So that's all real. They shouldn't have drafted Jordan Love. Yes, they should have called him because Tom Brady got called before the Patriots drafted Garoppolo. Tom Brady got called before the Bucks drafted Kyle Trask as another quarterback. The Vikings called Kirk Cousins before they drafted Kellen Mond at quarterback. It's common courtesy. Rodgers found out from his marketing agent they were, and then watched it on TV. I get all that. But if he doesn't show up for this season, Packers fans are going to hate him. I don't think I don't think you can underweigh that. Like I don't think he wants that. No, it took years with Favre. Like it took years to get that goodwill back. And if Rodgers is as petty as we all say, maybe we never get to that point. Like we eventually came around on Favre. He came around on Green Bay. Maybe Rodgers and the Packers fandom 
like years down the road, maybe we don't come together like we did with Favre, and that would be a bummer. I look, I cheer for the name on the front of the jersey, not on the back, not on the back of the jersey. That is that's starting to be my stance every day about this obnoxiously. We're speaking with uh, Danny Heifetz of the Ringer. You can read his work, listen to his podcast. You host the fantasy football show with Danny Kelly. So when I was getting ready to have you on, I thought, okay, let's use fantasy football as kind of a lens, and we can look through that lens to talk about some of these players. I want to ask you about Aaron Jones because he's fresh off a new contract. Big running back contracts are always kind of, you know, people have mixed feelings. I think it's a manageable contract as far as running backs go, but I'm a Packer fan, right? We've had mixed results with some of these uh, running backs as they enter their second contract. McCaffrey with some injuries. Gurley, Dalvin Cook was great last year. You have Aaron Jones on your initial rankings at the ringer. They dropped on Monday. You have Aaron Jones ranked 10th overall, running back nine. Describe to me what you foresee Aaron Jones's season looking like coming up this fall. Like, visualize it for us. Yeah, well, with those rankings, Jones and Devontae Adams are in the same place. It's really, they're getting docked because we don't know if Rodgers is going to show up. And, I, you know, I got bad news about Aaron Jones this season if Jordan Love plays versus Rodgers. I think, you know, Devontae Adams would probably be a lot higher in our rankings if we knew that Rodgers was going to play. As for Jones himself, look, the contract's four years, $48 million. That's what it's reported at. That's not what the deal is. The deal is two years for about $25 million, depending how you count. That's perfectly reasonable, $26 yeah. million. Really what they gave him was the franchise tag, which I think is like $13 million, twice. They gave him two years for $13 million annually. That's perfectly fair. That's not some onerous running back contract. That's not the Rams giving Todd Gurley like $45 million guaranteed when they knew that when he was in college he had arthritic components in his knee. That's not what this is. Like, the whole running back value thing, we can go into it if you want, but at the end of the day, Aaron Jones is really good, and the Packers don't have a ton of good skill players. They need him. Devontae Adams is your best player. Aaron Jones is your uh, – other than Rodgers. And Aaron Jones is, like, the other best player on the offense. You need him. He's not just a running back. He catches passes. He catches stuff downfield. He can run routes. They can't just lose him. They're not going to go out in free agency, spend $13 million, and get a better player. I think it's a pretty good deal, and it's not like it's some long-term commitment. I'm going to save that soundbite of you saying that this isn't some egregious contract. I'm going to save that in case I have any pro football focus guys on. Again, I had Eric Eager on right after this contract, and I was so excited. I was like, hey, this, this contract isn't that bad. Like, he's not going to grill the Packers for this contract, and he still found a way to do it. So I'm going to save that soundbite, and I'm going to reference that again. No, it's not bad, and even if you don't want to pay a running back, I don't see what choice the Packers had. He's one of your best players. He creates big plays, which A.J. Dillon might not do. Jamal Williams couldn't do. Tunyon, I don't think, can do. Aaron Jones creates these big plays where big plays don't exist, and that's a really important thing to have an offense, especially if Aaron Rodgers isn't there. I want to ask you, too, quickly about MVS. MVS is, the NFL has lots of these guys, these wide receivers who have all the, the potential. They have all the, the tangibles, right, the speed, the strength, all these things, and we're just kind of like, we feel like we're in a waiting room, like waiting for them. Like Nelson Aguilar, I think, is another guy where it's like he's on our radar still. Like he could turn out to be something. We're waiting Right. What about MVS? What do you expect from him this fall? Yeah, it's like fan purgatory. You're kind of yeah. like you're intrigued, but you're like, really? Because what MVS is, is is maybe the league's premier, like yes, yes, no guy. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's wide open, and then it's just you're like, oh my god, and then he drops the ball, and you're like, oh my. It just there's so many infuriating plays with him. But at the end of the day, I think the real problem the Packers have had for. I don't know, one year, five years, really ever since Jordy wasn't the same, is that they have one one A receiver in Devontae Adams and like five number four receivers. Okay. And MBS is just part of it. Yeah. The, the problem, one of the main problems Rodgers has had for the last few years, and I think one of the reasons he's really frustrated, is that Devontae Adams is doing all this with no help because, you know, MBS, is he a number two receiver? He's not. 
he's probably a fine number three for you. Really, really good number four receiver. Alan Lazard, probably a three, maybe a four. Jake Kumaros, probably a four. I mean, even when Geronimo Allison was there, probably a, he's going to be a four on the Lions this year. The Lions are the worst receiving group in football. I mean, the talent that the Packers have repeatedly put, I mean, Devin Funchess, like, like these guys are being asked more of what they're capable of giving to a team, that's not on the players. That is on the organization for not putting them in the, the place where they can succeed. And I think MBS is part of that. I know they got to give him a new deal or something soon. Depends what kind of role they see him for him. If they're going to pay him like he's a number four receiver, sure. Pay him like a number three, maybe. If, if you're going to give MBS number two money, no. There's plenty of those. I, I like how you put that. One number one wide receiver and then a bunch of three or fours. I, I hadn't previously been that way four years in a row. Yeah, and it has been that way for a while. And Devontae Adams is so good. He can separate and he can do some things even without help. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. We're talking with Danny Heifetz of The Ringer. Follow him on Twitter, Danny underscore Heifetz. I was listening to your, your, uh, your fantasy football show this morning with Danny. Y- you brought up the travesty of Hayden Hurst last year who, like, I drafted really high. Like, I, I was a dude who bought into Hayden Hurst. I thought I was smarter than everyone else, and it was just another way that the Falcons ended up letting us down. And it got me thinking about tight ends, and this is a Wisconsin show, and this isn't, like, the time of year where I would dedicate a lot of time to fantasy, but I think it's an interesting concept to consider. Tight ends in the NFC North. Three young guys, three in very different situations. We have TJ Hawkinson, Robert Tunyon, and Irv Smith Jr., Right, like, can you give me your feelings on those three and how we should consider them? Yeah, as fantasy options, but also like as, as fans of the Packers or another one of these rival teams. You know what? What can we expect from these young tight ends? Well, my initial takeaway is what's funny about your question is that the Bears went into training camp with like ten tight ends last <laughs> yeah. year, and you didn't even ask the question. Okay, Cole Komet. We'll, we'll throw him in there too. The uh, no, of them, yeah. no, but that's the point. He's, he's the point is he's last. The yeah. Like that's what's hilarious about it. Uh, so I mean, T.J. Hawkinson's obviously the best guy. I think he's the number one receiver on the Lions. Like, if you're looking at tight ends right now, there's really two kinds, right? There's tight ends who run routes and block. Well, I guess there's three. There's tight ends who run and or catch passes and block. Mm-hmm. There's tight ends who block, and there's tight ends who catch passes. The best tight end in the NFL is Travis Kelsey, but he's not really a tight end if you just catch passes, right? Like, yeah. he's, a, he's a giant receiver. Darren Waller, not employed for his blocking. He's a giant receiver. And then George Kittle who is a one-of-one one because he's closer to Gronk and that he's maybe the best, he's probably the best blocking tight end in the NFL and is like top five pass, uh, at catching passes. So that's like this 1A elite tier. Hawkinson has the opportunity to at least sniff that tier. Maybe he won't join it, but he's at least has the opportunity to be at the second tier because he's a Kittle type where he's a pretty good blocker. And this year he probably is going to, unless something goes wrong, is going to lead the Lions in every category that matters. Yeah. So he's at the top of the division for sure. I think the Packers pretty clearly are second, right? Tunyon's pretty good. Uh, I, I mean, he clearly was a surprise. I mean, you know, I was RIP on the Jay Sternberger train, but, like, yeah. I think Tunyon clearly showed, like, he's capable of being a very good option for his team. He's probably being asked to do a, a, a little more than he probably should be, but he's certainly, like, he's more than serviceable. I'd put it that way. I mean, Rodgers and him have a good connection. And then, like um, – I mean, Mike Zimmer, the Vikings coach, literally said, was it a week or two ago, that, that Irv Smith is not in line for a yeah. larger role in the offense? What was that? So, it made no I, sense. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, Irv Smith was a, I don't know, highly touted. He's a second-round tight end out of Alabama. I mean, that's, 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 that's usually pretty good stuff. Um, and I, I can't remember, actually, the last time I heard a coach explicitly say, no, he will not have a larger role in this so team. So weird. Uh, I don't know if that's just kind of like trying to get him to work harder or just Mike Zimmer being honest. So I would say Irv's, you know, clearly third. And then 
see if Cole Komet can do anything for the Bears. Jimmy Graham. Well, he has he has help. He has Jimmy Graham to, I don't know, to distract the defense or whatever. I like Irv Smith. Like, I think the Vikings could sneaky have a flashy offense, but I think Zimmer saying what he said. Like, that's the problem. Is Zimmer actually going to let this offense fly in Minnesota? I'm a Packer fan, but I'm right here on the border, so I, I kind of like to pay attention to both. I'm hoping to get to U.S. Bank this year for the first time. I've never been. I'll so. tell you that right now. As someone who has not really been to that area, the number one thing I haven't realized is how much crossover there is family-wise. Oh, yeah. Families are kind of split Vikings-Packers, because I'm from New York, and that obviously happens where there's Giants, Jets, you know, a lot of mixed households. I didn't realize how many mixed households there were between Packers and Vikings fans and how testy that can get. Well, and it's funny. I grew up in Wisconsin, but an hour from the Twin Cities and three hours from Green Bay. So I grew up around yeah. a, lot, a lot more Vikings fans than, like, Bears fans. The Bears rivalry is a lot stronger down towards Milwaukee. So it's, I don't know. And, and the Vikings fans that I grew up around, very docile, right? Like, they grew up behind enemy lines. They know how to, like, shoot the breeze and not start stuff. But then you go into the Twin Cities, they're a little bit more aggressive. Like, it's... I don't know. It, it would be a fascinating <laughs> study in communication. Like, someone should do a, a project. Grew up behind it. enemy lines. is unbelievable. Yeah, That's I so also, <laughs> while we're on it, I also think Vikings fans, because I grew up around a lot of Impactors fans, I think Vikings fans, their perspective is amazing. Like, they are happy with, like, the bare minimum. Like, if they have one good season and great games to watch, like, they're, they're just, they're the people who, they have no expectations. Right? Like, I have a fishing buddy no, who's don't. a Vikings fan. If we go out and have a beautiful day, he's happy. It doesn't even matter if we catch fish. And, like, I swear that's an extension of his Vikings fandom. So, yeah, th- this is a whole other conversation. Danny, before I let you go, because I know I've kept you too long, I wanted to ask you about your piece that you just put out. It's about Dave, which is Lil Dicky's show on FX. I haven't read it yet because I haven't seen the new episode yet, and I don't want to spoil it. Like, I'm grinding The Sopranos right now, and the NBA games are going to, like, midnight every night. So I think this weekend I'll get to Dave. But I remember Dave, the season one last year, as this escape from the pandemic when I think it was its most stressful and Dave is awesome and Lil Dicky's funny, but I like love Andrew Santino. I still laugh every time I watch the scene with young thug when they're in the smoking circle. Yeah. Like I, I do love the show. Do you think, and I haven't read your piece, so maybe this is what you wrote about, but like, is this a show with, with staying power, like a serious show or did it just kind of catch us at a, a vulnerable time last spring? No, it's a real show. I, I mean, the piece I wrote was spoilery cause I think it's, it's it, the spoilers were worth it, but um... yeah, if you're on the fence about the show, you can read the piece at theringer.com. It's about uh, Dave. But basically, what I like about Dave is if you haven't seen it, it's in the category of shows of watch it for five minutes and you'll know if you're intrigued. Like, you'll know yeah. if you're intrigued or not. Like, yeah. it's about a, like a, a white, Jewish, skinny, awkward, affluent dude just tries to become a rapper in L.A. And it, you, you'll, you'll know in about ten minutes if, if you, you want to see it or not. And I, I like shows like you – know, sometimes people are like – Oh, you have to give it like an episode or, you know, just get through the first season. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want it. I want yeah. it to be good immediately. There's a thousand things to choose from. So you'll like it or you won't. And that's kind of what I, I, I respect about the show. I think what my same buddy who's a Vikings fan, he tried to watch it and he got to one scene where it was just like a little, I don't know, like you said, there's some, I don't know how to describe it on the radio. There's some more crude humor. Lewd. and Yeah, lewd. And he immediately was like, this is dumb. And he just skipped that episode and moved along. So it's, it's interesting how people have reacted to the show i kept you a couple of extra minutes danny and i'm sorry but i appreciate the heck out of you for coming on and and kind of yes talking about rogers but also talking about some other fun uh, packers and nfl subjects as well and some pop culture which the show hardly ever gets to so i appreciate you man thanks for coming on <laughs> no problem at all thank you so much for having me i appreciate it danny heifetz on twitter danny underscore heifetz find his work at the ringer and on spotify i don't know how but i'm taking heat on the talk and text line for my bucks takes uh, during an interview, so I will address that. We will preview Bucks Game 6 and wrap up the show coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills 
on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.